you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. Back on that weekly schedule, trying to listen every single week. Lots to get to. A lot happened over the weekend. Uh, obviously, impeachment is getting crazy. There's investigations going on. California is on fire. A whole bunch of things to get to. So let's get right to our out-of-the-gate monologue. Ah, the Bush years. I remember them well. I mean, I back then I was a bright-eyed, young, liberal college student. That's right, that's right. I'm not afraid to admit it. I was at one point a liberal. But I changed. This is the story of how I changed. See, back then I felt betrayed by the administration that sent troops to Iraq rather than Afghanistan, to fight the evildoers who perpetrated 9-11. After that, I was an espoused, dyed-in-the-wool blue liberal. Very shocking. But, like I said, I changed. However, I remember back during the Bush years, liberals were like a second coming of the hippies from the 60s. The parallels were pretty stark. An unpopular president struggling to sell a quagmire of a war to the American people. Thousands of lives lost in a country people had no idea why we were there. Liberals back at home called President Bush a war criminal, cried for his immediate impeachment for lying to the American people about weapons of mass destruction. They talked about bringing the troops home and ending overseas conflicts. And I know this because I was one of those liberals. I talked about the fear of a possible draft because we were sending so many troops to the Middle East. It's all people on the left could talk about. Bring the troops home and end these needless wars. Now fast forward to 2008 when a young candidate rose quickly to become the Democratic nominee and campaigned on bringing the troops home. A message pulled directly from the liberal voter base during the Bush years. Now, people cheered him. They loved his message of ending war and bringing peace to the world. However, something happened that changed everything. See, President Obama never brought the troops home. He brought some home, and he scaled back, but that didn't stop him from going into other areas of the Middle East and causing unrest. President Obama was also famously decried for his inhumane use of drone strikes. But even with all of that, the left still stayed quiet about bringing the troops home. Their fever pitch screams during the Bush years turned into nothing but a quiet hush during the Obama years. Fast forward again to now. President Trump has promised to end foreign conflicts and bring troops home. For the most part, he has done so, but it's hard to believe the same people who were calling President Bush a war criminal for sending troops to the Middle East are now decrying President Trump for trying to take troops out of the Middle East. They scream about how President Trump is taking 50 troops out of the northern Syria because he's abandoning the Kurds. However, forget that they have a treaty with Turkey that says we won't fire on each other and that the Turks would just go around our troops to the Kurds. They said the Kurds would be slaughtered. And forget that President Trump and his administration quickly negotiated a permanent ceasefire with Turkey. They cried that pulling the troops would hasten the spread of ISIS. 
In fact, you heard them regurgitating lines conservatives said during the Bush years, such as, if we don't fight them there, then we will have to fight them here. Forget that despite all this, President Trump announced the death of ISIS leader Baghdadi just yesterday. Yet leftists still cry about President Trump bringing troops home and pulling them out of the Middle East. When it wasn't too long ago, they were screaming for President Bush to be hung for treason for sending troops to the Middle East. And even a shorter period of time from when they conveniently neglected President Obama not ending any of the wars as promised. Why is this? It's because the left doesn't necessarily stand for being anti-war. They stand for being anti-conservative in any form. The irony being that most leftists don't see their own contradictions. They sound like Bush-era conservatives when defending why we need to stay in the Middle East indefinitely. They become the very thing they hated years ago. Not because they had some epiphany and realized conservatives were right all along, but because it wasn't advantageous to their goal of knocking a conservative president down a few pegs. Republicans sending troops to the Middle East? Warmonger. Republican president bringing troops home? Irresponsible and reckless foreign policy. And again, this is why it's impossible to take what leftists say as serious. They change their positions based on who is in office and not based on their own personal political beliefs. Whatever position is the best for achieving their political goals, that's the position they will take. It's not about convictions, it's about power and suppressing those who disagree with them. See, I may have changed from a bright-eyed liberal to a more populist conservative, but at least I never changed my anti-war stance. I can't say the same for many on the left today. So, the news that broke this weekend obviously was that uh, Baghdadi was killed by a military operation uh, by American military. And uh, even though it's on the scale of President Obama killing uh, bin Laden, two completely different reactions from the left. Obviously, when President Obama did it, it was a big deal for America. I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed, all of a sudden in the middle of a game. And I, I remember this specifically because there was a Sunday night baseball game where the, the Mets were playing the Nationals. And all of a sudden, Chance of USA started up and people started to figure out what was going on. They were getting notifications on their phones that Osama bin Laden had been killed. And in that moment, it was a release of stress and anger that people had said, oh, we, we finally got him. The guy who was behind or supposedly behind 9-11. And I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. It's just... That's who they say it was. He was behind 9-11. They went out, they got him, finally, after how many years of searching for him. And in that moment, a lot of Americans stepped back and said, good, like, we were happy to be Americans. We were proud that we got Osama bin Laden. We got the bastard who did this to our country. And it didn't really matter if you're on the left or the right. President Obama and his team was generally hailed and applauded and congratulated for what he did. Now, this has only been barely 24 hours of what has happened with President Trump and Baghdadi. Baghdadi, who's the head of ISIS, has been captured. He was tracked down and then he was killed. Supposedly, if you read the story, he ran away. He took three children with him. He ignited his suicide vest, killed himself and these three kids with him. That's, that's what I read. Yet, 
if you look at what leftists are saying today, not even 24 hours, people are already saying, oh, enough President Trump with the bragging. And, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Who cares? I'm sorry. It seems to me there is a completely different standard for the fact that President Trump and his team completed this and did this than when President Obama did it. And a lot of people back then looked at President Obama and said, that's it. He won re-election. There's no way, because I think he's right in the heat of, it was almost time for another election. And I think it was the summer before it was going into the re-election, if I remember correctly. People say, well, he's, he's won the re-election. And, and people on the left would sit there and say, well, at least President Obama got bin Laden, President Obama got bin Laden, President, and they would repeat it over and over and over again. But now, 24 hours later, if you are a Trump supporter or you support this president and his administration, you can't talk about the fact that they went out and got Baghdadi. And it's, it hasn't even been almost 48 hours and people already being told to shut up and stop celebrating so much. The man completed an incredible military mission with the help of the military. And I want to, you got to give credit to the military because the military, if you've ever seen the movie Zero Dark Thirty, you know that President Obama didn't capture bin Laden on his own. A lot of people like to say, oh, President Obama got bin Laden. But if you watch the movie, you see that the, the actual operation to find bin Laden started during the Bush years. And it just sort of happened that they were able to track him down finally during the Obama years. So what I'm saying is the military is doing these operations regardless of who is really in office. So this could have been started under President Obama, although I haven't seen any reports saying that it was started under President Obama. It looks like it was basically started under President Trump. But he's not allowed to take credit for it. He is the commander in chief's not allowed to take credit for it. To me, that's that's unbelievable. And it's just the echo chamber and the pure hatred for this president is unbelievable. And you saw even when he went to the Nationals game, people booed him. He just killed the leader of the biggest Islamic terrorist group in the world. And people were booing him. Is it? And it's you could compare and contrast. It's eerie that it was a baseball game on Sunday night. The same thing with bin Laden, a baseball game on Sunday night, America's pastime. People were chanting USA, USA during Obama's years when he killed bin Laden or when his team captured or killed bin Laden. But now with President Trump, he kills Big Daddy and he's booed. People can't even just say, you know, good job. Thank you for taking care of, thank you for being the commander in chief who did this, who was who protecting our country. There is such hatred and vitriol for this president and for anything he does. People refuse. People are absolutely refuse. And I talked to some people today who said, I will not have, under any circumstances give credit to this president and his administration under any circumstances. Isn't it? That's terrifying that this is how divided we are as a country that we can't even rally around a simple win like this we can't even step back and say 
This is good for America. This is good for the world. And not only that, his successor, who was supposed to take over for him, the spokesperson, we got him too, earlier. So we're already dismantling ISIS. And I'm not saying there won't be a successor because there's always a successor. But it weakens the organization as a whole when you take the head out. Whether they'll continue to be as effective, it's all about who their leader is. But the fact that we couldn't even come together as a country, that people on both sides couldn't just say, ah, good job, this is good news for America. This will indubitably actually obviously help President Trump. I mean, this is a big win for him, and not right now. I mean, if you're watching the mainstream media, if you're watching people on the left and the people who are decrying him, you know, the, the people with the worst cases of Trump, derange, Trump derangement syndrome. And it's even funnier that SNL, is running a skit about how he's made ISIS stronger by pulling troops out of northern Syria. And Pete Davidson, who is an absolute mess of a comedian and a human being, gets up there and says, as a joke, well, thank you for making ISIS great again. Meanwhile, the raid is going on to kill Baghdadi the head of ISIS, and they're making this joke. So SNL kind of looks stupid. Not that anybody who watches SNL really cares. There are probably people on the other side who hate President Trump. Will this make a difference with those on the left? Now, will it help people? Will it be a big selling point when he goes into re-election next year? Absolutely. Don't think this is going to be tamped down by those on the left. Don't think this is going to be something that the mainstream media and those in the liberal elite are going to be able to just shove away and not make a big deal. He's going to say this at rallies over and over again. Who was the president who killed the head of ISIS and is dismantling ISIS? I told you, this is what he's going to say. He's going to go out there and say, I told you I, I knew how to, we were going to dismantle ISIS. We're going to bomb the hell out of them. going to bomb the shit out of them. And he he's basically doing it. He's dismantling ISIS. And that's what's going to rally his base. That's what's going to get people in the middle to say, look, he said he was going to do X, Y, and Z. And he's doing it. He said he was going to dismantle ISIS. He did. He said he was going to make the economy great. He did. He said he's going to start building the wall. Maybe it's not as happening as fast as Ann Coulter would like it to be. And Ann Coulter can keep her pants on. But it does, it does take a while. This isn't like SimCity where you can just click a button and the wall's going to be built in five minutes. I don't think she understands that, and Ann Coulter is inflammatory, and she says these things only to get an arousal out of people who either follow her or hear her. Ann Coulter is about one person, that's herself. If you've ever figured that out, someone like Ann Coulter only cares about Ann Coulter. But he can now go into the re-election cycle and say, look, I've checked off this box. I said the economy was going to be great. The economy is fantastic. I said I was going to bomb the shit out of ISIS and destroy them. I've, I've killed Baghdadi. I've killed the, the head of ISIS and a lot of his underlings. He said that he was going to start bringing troops home, which he has done. He said that he's going to help build the wall, which he's done. He's worked out a deal with Mexico for Mexico to stop immigrants and refugees from coming over the border, which is huge. So... These are things that are going to work in his favor. These are This is not something he's just going to say, oh, well, no one cared about it. I guess I'll just forget about it and not bring it up. He's going to bring this up from now until Election Day. This will be part of his campaign. 
And it's going to work for those in the base. It's going to work for those who support him. It's going to work for independents who want a secure country. For him to say, look, I took the fight to them and we are dismantling them while we're also being responsible and bringing troops home in areas we don't need our troops. So obviously this was an Adelaide. This wasn't part of my original plan for the show, but I had to talk about it anyway because it was such big news. This is not something you can just gloss over. I wanted to get into the other news that came out on Friday, which was big news. And that is that the Durham, the, the Durham investigation, John Durham, who was a U.S. attorney, was it was revealed that the probe into the origins of the Trump-Russia fiasco or the supposed collusion has now shifted into a criminal investigation, which is it shifted from an administrative review which was just sort of, okay, well, let's just see what happened. Now it's turned into a criminal investigation, which is absolutely, I don't know what's a good word to say this. Is it earth shatter? Is it earth shaking for those on the left to know that, that John Durham has now switched from an administrative review over to a criminal review? Because that's a big deal. As opposed to just an administrative review where you can get fined or you can, you know, you can hand down little punishments. Now we're talking about a criminal investigation, jail time, grand juries. People could be in big trouble. And not only that, it means gives us a little peek into what's going on with this investigation in John Dorham. It means that John Dorham, who's a smart guy, he's been sort of a corruption buster his whole entire career. He's a bulldog. That's what people know him as. He's looked at this, what's going on right now. And he has said, there is enough here for me to believe that we need to start looking into a criminal investigation. And subpoenaing witnesses means now you can't run and hide. That means if you get subpoenaed as a witness, if you are someone who is involved in this, and they want to get your testimony, you can't run and hide. Either you're going to have to lawyer up, and then you're going to have to get lawyers to fight for you, or you can try and not pay attention to it, but if you ignore a criminal subpoena, they can send they can send an arrest warrant after you. So this was from the Red State, uh, redstate.com. And they talked a little bit about it, um, just a little bit of what's going on. The New York Times reported, For more than two years, President Trump has repeatedly attacked the Russia investigation, portraying it as a hoax and illegal, even after months of the special counsel closed it. Now Mr. Trump's own Justice Department has opened a criminal investigation into how it all began. Justice Department officials have shifted an administrative review of the Russia investigation closely overseen by Attorney General William P. Barr to a criminal inquiry, according to two people familiar with the matter. The move gives the prosecutor running it, John H. Durham, the power to subpoena for witness testimony and documents, to impanel a grand jury, and to file criminal charges. Um, Times goes on to say that the opening of a criminal investigation is likely to raise alarms that Mr. Trump is using the Justice Department to go after his perceived enemy. And of course, they knew you knew that was going to be the line coming out of it, that they were going to say, Trump is using the Department of Justice to go after his political enemies. Even though no one said this about when Mueller and Comey and all them 
were used by the Obama administration to go after President Trump and his campaign. Of course, they're going to sit back and freak out and say, this is why, you know, now he feels the pressure of impeachment. So he's going to run out and use the Department of Justice. Forget that all this has been going on for a lot longer than impeachment hearings. This is not the impeachment is relatively new. And now you have a criminal investigation going on. This is not he didn't do this and say, well, now I'm going to order my Department of Justice to look into people overnight. This is something that's been going on for a while. So now you had people like Nadler and Schiff, Representative Nadler, who tweeted out. He said, these reports, if true, raise profound new concerns that the Department of Justice under A.G. Barr has lost its independence, become a vehicle for President Trump's political revenge. He goes on to say, if the Department of Justice may be used as a tool of political retribution or to help the president with a political narrative for the next election, the rule of law will suffer an irreparable damage. And that was a joint statement with him and Adam Schiff. It's crazy that this is what this is what the left does is they use one they if if they're investigating President Trump, they say, oh, it's not for political reasons. It's it's not with it's not for it, it, it's not for political reasons. It's not for political gain. It's not for some sort of strategy or anything like that. It's because the rule of law and nobody's above the rule of law and yada 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 and we. It, this is what it all comes down to. Forget that the Russia collusion narrative was absolutely debunked, that there was nothing to it, that after how many how many days, how many weeks and months we spent worrying about when was Mueller going to drop his report and it was going to be this big deal. It turned out to be a big nothing burger. Now you have the left who say, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you can't investigate what we did to even start the Russia collusion. <laughs> that's, that's using the Department of Justice for your own political narrative even though they used the Department of Justice for their own political purposes. And now they're using the impeachment inquiry as their own political narrative. It, it's always, and they say this a lot, you see a lot of people say this, the left always accuses those on the right of what they are guilty of. So they'll sit here and say, President Trump is using the Department of Justice for his political gain, for his own political narrative. But they don't, Usually, it means whatever they're accusing you of means that they're doing it themselves. And why would they say that? Because they're experts at it. They know they're experts at using the government and the Department of Justice or any agency to enact their political gains or their political strategy. But this is going to keep going. And while a lot of people have been a little impatient with what uh, A.G. Barr has been doing because he's been a little quieter when he came out. He was, he was loud, he was proud, he, he had some great sound bites, he, he had those congressional hearings where people heard him. Now he's been more quiet. People don't really know what's going on, but like they say, Sun Tzu, keep your enemies guessing of what you're doing. It's all about the confusion. So this has moved into a criminal investigation. It means we're likely going to start seeing people being subpoenaed, that there's going to be witnesses called, there might be grand juries, but even more crucial than any of this is that now anybody who's involved, you're going to get lower level people possibly flipping to avoid jail time because you're not going to have the high, the high powered people might be able to get away with it because they might have the money to get out of it or they might pay the right attorney. But the little people, the little people who can't fight a long protracted battle, 
with the Department of Justice and the Attorney General are going to flip. And that could have the whole house of cards crumbling. And I would be incredibly interested to see if the whole establishment and the whole swamp or whatever is going to be able to keep this all together and prevent anybody from actually flipping and selling anybody up the river. Will this mean that you're going to start to see people in chains and they're going to be frog walked? I don't know. Is it perfect timing for what's going on heading into 2020? I think it is. I think now you've got the start of this criminal investigation. The impeachment inquiry is going to is dying out. Pelosi said she's going to finally hold a vote, which is gutsy of her. Even though I called it and said that she wouldn't hold a vote, she she's holding off on a vote as long as possible, but I think she's realized she can't keep a vote off the table forever because people are going to start calling her bluff and say there's nothing to it. She said that she's looking at having a formal vote on the articles of impeachment. And we'll see where that goes. But impeachment itself is not that popular in the swing states. A new Marquette uh, poll that came out showed that in the swing states like Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania, stuff like that, the poll is underwater for supporting any impeachment of President Trump. So Democrats are really shooting themselves in the foot here. If you're going to move forward with this impeachment inquiry, impeachment sounds great in New York. It sounds great in California. People love the idea of impeachment in those states. But who cares about those states? Those are dyed blue states. You're not going to flip them anyway. The states you have to look at and say, is impeachment really popular is in these swing states. And this Marquette poll, I'll link it in the show notes, shows that it's not that popular. And they might be shooting themselves in the foot. They may have overplayed their hand. President Trump's doing a good job calling their bluff, saying, look, if you got something, bring it forward. We'll comply and we'll work with you, but you can't just arbitrarily ask us for stuff just for the hell of it. We have to know what we're... I mean, there's lawyers on both sides, and they're both... They have lots of smart lawyers. They're not just going to hand stuff over just because. So... Interesting to see where this criminal investigation is going to go. It's going to be interesting. I was reading today something about, they called it the investigation wars because you got the impeachment inquiry that's an investigation. And now you got this criminal investigation that's going on. What happened with the Trump-Russia collusion? So we're going to see where each one of these goes. So jumping back into uh, California news because there's a lot to get to. If you're... I'm assuming you're here in California, you're listening to this. What's going on with the outages? What's going on with the wildfires? California is a little bit of a hot mess right now. But first off, I want to talk about this article from the Fox and the Hounds, and it's about a sales tax on services, which is being proposed or that they're trying to push through. And the article reads, As the 2020 election nears, Californians are bracing for an onslaught of local and state tax increase proposals on everything from property to soda. Proponents are already selling these taxes as though they are missing piece in the California dream. While conveniently ignoring the people who are going to pay more taxpayers, consumers, and small businesses. As part of this mix, Senator Bob Hertzberg is again advocating for adding sales tax to services, a fatally 
flawed fiscal policy that creates several harmful economic consequences for California. The fairy tale he is selling is that taxing services will reduce California's notorious budget volatility and the $11 billion a year in new taxes will somehow help the average California family. The facts say otherwise, says a new group formed to educate policymakers in California about the extent of harmful impacts that result from a sales tax on business services. According to the California Tax and Budget Research Project, a new sales tax on services will not fix California's budget volatility, no matter how the tax is structured. CTBRP points to a recent study conducted by Justin Adams, PhD for the California Foundation of Commerce and Education, that found none of the recent sales tax on services proposals, including Hertzberg's current proposal of a sales tax only on business-to-business services, would have fixed California's budget volatility. If they had been placed over the last 20 years, the reality is taxing services just increases taxes and spending without addressing the structural problem of California's tax policies. The problem with a sales tax on services runs deeper than the false advertising by its proponents. It would cost consumers and businesses billions of dollars a year in higher costs for housing, infrastructure, and everyday needs like legal help, auto repair, and banking. The Adams report found that a 5% sales tax on business services would result in higher costs and unintended consequences for consumers, including increasing the cost of an average single-family home by at least $16,500, increasing the cost of a new school construction by more than $17 million per facility, and increasing the cost of all state and local infrastructure work by nearly 3.2%. These are only a few examples of how a tax designed to impact corporations will actually fall hardest on low- and middle-income consumers. Small businesses also would be severely impacted. Not only will small businesses have to pay more for the services they rely on to run their operations, but the cost of sale taxes on services would get passed uh, would get passed on by small businesses to their customers, raising the price of their goods against competitors. These added costs and competitive disadvantages would likely result in some small businesses small business closures or flight to other states. Although Hertzberg says he He'll exempt small businesses making less than $100,000 per year. That still leaves hundreds of thousands of California small businesses that would receive no relief. But perhaps the most troubling issue with Hertzberg's tax plan is the inherent flaws with broadening sales taxes to include business-to-business services, which causes tax pyramiding. Tax pyramiding is a process where a consumer good is taxed multiple times during the production cycle, which artificially increases the cost of that product or service without transparency to the end purchaser. States that have explored taxing services try to reduce the harm of pyramiding through tax exemption to specific industries, but policymakers have found that all business inputs would need to be exempt from a service tax services to avoid pyramiding. In annual balloting of NFIB's members, the Golden State Main Street entrepreneurs have almost unanimously opposed a sales tax on services 96% in 2016, 97% in 2017, and 98% in 2019. I agree with Senator Hertzberg that there's nothing more important than improving the economic well-being of California families. That's exactly why the National Federation of Independent Businesses, the state's largest small business, has joined the California Tax and Rate Coalition to oppose any effort to tax services. Taxing services will make everyday goods and services more expensive and make it even harder to have a good quality of life, successful business in California. So, big uh, again, California liberals... There is nothing a California liberal can't find that they can't tax. It's always this issue of there's a good tax or there's something 
that we're not taxing and we're, we're just one tax away from that California utopia that we've been promised over and over again, that we've been promised this free health care, uh, you know, new infrastructure. It's always this one tax away. It's like I talked about last week with the gas tax. The gas tax was promised to us or sold to Californians as a way to improve the infrastructure of our state. But what's happened? It was supposed to go towards fixing roads and infrastructure. Instead, Gavin Newsom, gruesome Newsom, has gone out and taken that money. And now he's diverted it to his own little pet projects. He said, well, now it's for public transit. It's for things that help combat climate change. Forget the fact that millions of people are still riding on these roads, are still paying these taxes. And they haven't seen the benefit of it. So there is no end to what a California leftist will tax. And it's always based on this idea of, well, if we just tax this one thing, this one more thing, we'll get to utopia. And that's it. But it never stops. The taxes in California never stop and they'll tax anything they can possibly get their hands on. Does anybody remember? I, I believe we spoke about it on this, this show. Remember when they were actually talking about taxing your text messages? Now that got people all, those people on the left and the right stood up and said, whoa, texting text or taxing text messages, try and say that five times fast, is a little ludicrous. And it made national news and it was ridiculed as one of the dumbest ideas California has ever come out with. But if someone came up with that idea. Someone actually sat down and said, this is a good idea. We should tax text messages. But there's no end to what Californians will tax. And this is just an example of how it makes, this falls back on hurting the middle class. It hurts the people, the working class of Californians. And they always think that, that by taxing more, it's somehow going to help everyday Californians. And it doesn't. Gas tax does not help everyday Californians because it makes the cost of gas more expensive, which makes it now harder to put food on the table, which makes it harder to pay bills, which makes it harder to provide for your family. People need to get in their cars and go to work to provide. And a gas tax only chips away at their budget. If you're already living paycheck to paycheck and you increase the gas tax, you've effectively made it harder for that person living paycheck to paycheck to live in California. These taxes, and they always say, oh, well, we got a tax for this reason and that reason. It always falls back on the middle and lower classes, those who can't afford it. Taxing services just makes it that much more expensive for the middle class and the lower classes to get access to those services. And they made a point, obviously, that legal lawyers provide a service. Area that I'm in. If you had to start adding service tax on top of that, it makes it harder for people to get access to legal because now the attorneys have to add on more of more service tax or they have to add tax on top of what they're doing. And not only that, a lot of attorneys work with other service providers. So now they got to pay for the service tax of other people. And this is where this idea of pyramiding comes in is that if everyone's paying these service taxes and it's just on top of each other, 
it's it's going to get passed down to the consumer. They're going to pass on that service tax down to the consumer. That's what businesses do is when they get a cost or an expense, they can pass it on to the consumer. That's what they do. That's just free market capitalism. That's just how the economy works. That's just how a business is run is when you have an expense and you can pass it down to the consumer, you pass it down to the consumer. So where does... This is just for me. And anybody who who's out there listening thinks that if you keep increasing taxes, you're somehow helping the middle and lower classes. I think you need to get your head checked. It doesn't. It doesn't help those who need it the most. Unless you're taking these taxes and giving it back to the middle and lower classes, which you're not, because the taxes on those people keep going up and up, and up property taxes, service taxes, gas tax, all this stuff keeps going up and up and up. You're making it harder and squeezing a lot of people out. And not only that, if you start squeezing these service industry businesses out of the state, you're now taking jobs away from people who can work there. So adding taxes on top of taxes never works. And it's going to hurt the middle class. It's going to hurt the lower class. This next article is from the Daily Caller. And it's basically what's been going on in California. Is it's a mess right now. And the title of it is Governor Gavin Newsom struggles to stay in control as California goes dark, wildfire spread, and gas prices spike. Democrat California Governor Gavin Newsom is warning citizens that they could be in for a long weekend as the state's public utility announced Saturday plans to shut down huge sections of the electric grid. The Pacific Gas and Electric Company's move could black out an estimated 940,000 homes and businesses in parts of more than 30 counties up and down California. PG&E is trying to prevent potential wildfires from spreading through the state while keeping tabs on downed power lines. Newsom, who is under pressure as gas prices increase, told Californians things are going to be tough for the next few days. And as long as he's in office, it's probably going to be tough for the next couple of years. The next 72 hours will be challenging, the Democrats said at a news conference. I could sugarcoat it, but I will not. The rolling blackouts could surpass those of 750,000 customers who dealt with similar shutoffs earlier in October. Newsom started to circulate blame for many of the problems Californians are facing, including the blackouts and rising gas prices. These are difficult calls, he said at Saturday's conference, but as a society, but a society as industrious and entrepreneurial and innovative as ours should not have to face a choice between public safety and public blackouts. We can do both together. and That is the path we are on. Newsom also led into PG&E. It's more than just climate change. It's about the failure of capitalism. Oh, the failure of capitalism. Here it is. It's about the failure of capitalism to address climate change, he told reporters on Friday, as he spoke about the utility's continued use of rolling blackouts. The failure of capitalism to address climate change. Even though when Governor Brown had the ability to help these public utility monopolies granted by the government to fix a lot of their power lines and to innovate, Jerry Brown said, now nah, we're good. That's not, but, you know, it's the failure of capitalism, not the failure of the government that grants them the public monopoly to help improve their infrastructure, improve how their wires, whether their wires are above ground or underground, 
or to get them ready for wildfires and winds and all this stuff is just not his fault. Newsom also leaned in on oil companies as the state faces staggering gas prices. Uh, now it's the oil companies. The oil companies are why the gas prices in California are so high. Those greedy, greedy, greedy oil companies. The ones who keep raising, outside of the rest of the country where it's, I don't know, the average is $2, $2.30 or something like that. You know, in Virginia, it's $2.30 or other states where it's super cheap. No, it's obviously it's the oil company's fault for raising the gas prices solely in California. Not the taxes, not the gas tax that you're using to fund all your public transit and climate change pet projects. It's the oil companies. Okay, so, and this is governing is blaming everybody and everything but himself. And he's trying to sound like he's a big hero or he's a big shot. And forget the fact that he could open this up and make it better for Californians by predicting this, first off. Knowing that this was a problem. Knowing he's seen this year after year after year and know that we probably should have been more prepared for the wildfires and this stuff. And now he's investigating why oil is so high. And he's saying, gee, I wonder why oil is so high even though we just passed the gas tax. Article goes on to say, the Democrat governor asked his attorney general on October 23rd, Xavier Becerra, to investigate oil companies for conspiring to keep gas prices artificially high. Oh, artificially high. Okay. As if it's just a conspiracy in California itself to keep the gas prices artificially high. Newsom based his request on a report suggesting California drivers are paying a dollar more per gallon of gasoline than the rest of the country, according to the Associated Press. As for the blackouts, PG&E said the utility is keeping tabs on wind conditions. We are working vigilantly to forecast condition and the weather is dynamic and changing, PG&E spokeswoman Suzanne Hosen said in a statement Saturday. We are adjusting start times based on the weather forecast. Newsom's office has not responded to the Daily Caller, yada, yada, yada. So gruesome Newsom doing his absolute best to push off all of the blame onto everybody else. And you notice it's always the same tyrant. It's uh, capitalism's fault. It's the greedy oil company's fault. He just opened, he must just open the leftist playbook and say, it's like a mad lib. Uh, okay, whose fault is it? Insert uh, oil company, insert, oh, it's capitalism's fault um, because we haven't insert uh, climate change. Oh yeah, okay, so we haven't uh, addressed climate change. Uh, I mean, he could work with people and maybe get rid of the gas tax. That's a start. But he's not going to do that. He's not going to get rid of the gas tax. And I, uh, appointing his attorney general, the political hack that Becerra is, to actually look into this and figure out why, because it's all going to come back bad on the government in California, why it's so artificially high. Why are other states have such cheap gas? Even though we have refineries right here in California, why why is gas not cheap here? It would be a boom for the California economy if he could figure this out. I mean, he would be a savior to California if he could figure this out and say, okay, I'm going to fix this and we're going to reduce gas to, I don't know, I would take 250 I would take $3. I would take 280 But $4 is expensive. And it's expensive. And going back to the other story, 
this is all part of how it just suppresses and puts pressure on middle class and working Californians, everyday Californians, not the bougie ones, not the ones driving the Teslas or living in Beverly Hills who can afford it. The normal everyday Californians who are working and living here in the state who are trying to stay here to keep the economy humming and to trying to keep this state afloat, who haven't abandoned or gotten into a U-Haul and gone somewhere else like Nevada or Texas. But he's pushing all the blame all over different to everybody. And it's always the same. It's the capitalists and it's the oil companies and it's this and it's that. It's never Gavin Newsom saying, you know what? We got some real problems here and I think it's time to start really looking into it. But he's not going to do that because he's, he's probably getting his leftist credentials all in line for a 2024 run after President Trump has done. Which I wouldn't be surprised. He's probably got his ambitions on the next site. He'll have been in office a while at that point. He can, what he'll run on, I, I'm not quite sure. But keep in mind that Gray Davis was recalled for this same exact thing. Rolling power outages. Gray Davis, who was elected governor, was quickly recalled because of this same thing. Which leads me to the point that if you haven't checked it out already, recallgavinnow.com. Go to that. It's a state-certified petition. Spread the word. They need 2 million signatures. They only need like 1.3 or something like that, but they're shooting for 2 million because they know if they get just over the line that the Secretary of State is going to look at and say, well, a lot of these signatures don't really count or they're going to knock a bunch of signatures off. So they want to make sure they get enough. And that's why they're going with the 2 million. So... RecallGavinNow.com. Gray Davis was recalled for something very similar to this. Is it possible this would this is going to be a perfect storm for someone like Gavin Newsom? You can only hope. You can only hope that this is the mess that he needs for people to look at someone like Gavin Newsom and say, this was a bad thing. And I predicted this when he got elected. I said, hopefully the best thing that happens to Gavin Newsom is that he runs the state so far into the ground that people will step back and go, we need to take a better look at who we're putting into office in California. I'm not saying it's going to go red overnight. I'm not saying you're going to get like a you know MAGA candidate in there who's going to run California. But at this point, if you slowly are pulling the state back from leftist socialism that's probably a win so it's a mess for for Gavin Newsom and where he goes from here I'm sure as soon as the winds die down and this is all taken care of but the gas prices are not going anywhere gas prices are as high as over four dollars here in San Diego it's getting more expensive in certain cities it's getting over 450 when is the attorney general going to come out with a report, whether the report actually indicates where they need to fix it. But he's holding on. He's trying to hold on in a state that it's getting harder for him. And middle, middle class and lower class Californians are starting to feel the heat from all this. And not having access to electric is a big deal for a lot of people.
So with that, I'm gonna end a little earlier today. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, I hope you have power. Thank you again for uh, tuning in. I'm still trying to get these out every week, so stay, subscribe, like this channel, share it with friends. California Underground at ProtonMail.com if you want to bring up an issue, you want something to talk about, you have an article, send it to me, California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Anchor.fm slash California Underground. You can leave a message, talk to me, check us out on Instagram. And until next time, I'll see you, see you on the other side. Remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 